George Washington Carver was born a slave but became a scientist who developed hundreds of products from peanuts and sweet potatoes. And he was a devout Christian. Tonight, we'll talk about his life and faith. Also, do we need a constitutional amendment to protect parental rights? And we'll get an update on the scene at Union University in Tennessee, hit by the tornadoes this week. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Chris Wool College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for man. December 7th. 1941, Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. There's a lot of people who care about you. Total strangers showing up here in this community to help you get back on your feet. All right, that's President Bush in Tennessee uh, viewing the aftermath of the, the tornado, the destructions, the destruction there, and promising federal aid. But um, we don't believe that the federal government is the main place people ought to look for aid. Uh, we believe the church here ought to be doing um, the work, being salt, being light. And so today... KCBI, for three hours, had a mini kind of a share uniting with Union University. We've raised about $25,000. You have given about $25,000 today for Union University. Yesterday, Criswell College students received an offering in the chapel service for Union University. I'll be taking that check there next week. And I want to tell you, we'll have a live report from Union, Union University later on in the program. You don't want to miss that. Find out what's happening on the ground in Tennessee. And if you want to give, there's still time. Go to kcbi.org, and uh, you can make a gift. We're going to do that grand total next Monday night. We'll announce it, and uh, we want you to be a part of it. Well, other news today, Mitt Romney has dropped out of the presidential race. It leaves John McCain as the apparent front runner. He was speaking at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Committee, yesterday, and uh, also President Bush there. Now, here is John McCain. I don't want in any way discount the candidacy of Governor Huckabee. Uh, he's in this race, and for me to dismiss him, I think, would be inappropriate and unrealistic. Unrealistic because James Dobson today endorsed Mike Huckabee. It remains to be seen what uh, now the, the Huckabee factor will be. Now that Romney and Huckabee are not fighting for votes, let's watch. Let's see. Many of you have said, 
calling in on this program. Huckabee is your candidate. Very interesting. Let's see in the next cycle of primaries. Now, here's President Bush. It sounds to me like President Bush is actually leaning towards McCain at CPAC. The stakes in November are high. This is an important election. Prosperity and peace are in the balance. All right, and he says we need to unite around a nominee. With confidence in our vision and faith in our values, let us go forward, fight for victory, and keep the White House in 2008. Okay, that's President Bush speaking to the conservatives. And um, let's do a little diagnosis, though, of what happened in the last 24 hours. Mitt Romney bowed out. Now, everybody thought this guy looked like the president, sounded like a president, and, uh, you know, he just seemed to be the man. Uh, Six months ago, a year ago, he spent $40, $60 million of his own money. Some people say up to $70 million of his own money, unlimited resources. And um, he could not, though, win in the South. And uh, I have a question. Was this the flip-flop factor? Many people say, you know, he was pro-choice, now he's pro-life. Used to be for gay marriage, now he's against it. Used to be against Ronald Reagan, now for uh, Reaganomics and uh, supply-side economics. Was that it, the flip-flop factor? Or was it the Mormon factor? With us to talk about it is Dr. Phil Roberts. He's an expert on Mormonism. Uh, follows politics a good bit as well. Dr. Roberts is the president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City. Good friend here to Criswell College, frequent guest uh, on the phone, but today he's in studio. Dr. Roberts, welcome to the program. Thank you. Great to be with you, Jerry. Now, Dr. Roberts, I'm going to invite our audience right now uh, to call in if they have a question about Mormonism or Mitt Romney and Mormonism. The number is 800-881-9270, 800-881-9270, if you want to weigh in on Mitt Romney and Mormonism. But I want to ask you, Dr. Roberts, you know, Mitt Romney was able to win in some places <clears throat> that he had lived before, like Massachusetts or Minnesota and North Dakota and even Colorado, which he hadn't lived there, but that's kind of out in the West. But Utah, there are Mormons up in Utah. But in the Bible Belt, he did not take one primary state in the Bible Belt. Now, I'm going to ask you, do you think that had anything to do with the Mormon factor? What do you think? Oh, I think it certainly had something to do with the Mormon factor, flip-flop factor, yeah, possibly, but the polls showed us what thirty percent of conservative voters plus would not vote for a Mormon for president. When you look at the general electorate, something like twenty-five percent said they would not vote for a Mormon for president. So I think if we stick with what the polls tell us, then it's clear that the Mormon factor was a huge, huge dimension to his failure to win the candidacy for the presidency. Okay, well let's talk about a couple of um, you know critiques that Romney supporters uh, would make at this point. And I think one of them is, look, uh, this is religious discrimination. And if America isn't about anything, it's about uh, no religious test for office. There was this movie made called Article 6, which actually was made by some Mormon filmmakers. We featured it one night on this program. And uh, they were equating the Kennedy election with the Romney campaign, more or less, and saying, uh, you know, we can't have a religious test. But in fact, Article 6 is about the government not making a religious test for a president. Um, What do you think about the American people? Is it okay for them to have a religious test if they want to? (laughs) Absolutely. Our free democratic system is about voting your conscience. Mm. 
and to go in that polling booth and to say you can't or you should vote for a candidate because of their religion or you should never consider that factor would be obviously discriminatory in terms of uh, a person's exercise of their conscience and what they want to see in a candidate. Yeah. Now, another defense I've heard of Romney in the midst of all this, look, we're not voting for a pastor. We're voting for a president. Right. And so someone would say, look, if they're a God-fearing man or they have the right morals, ethics, and values, if we have values in common, uh, we're not voting for a pastor. We're voting for a president. What are your thoughts on that slogan? My feeling is that in many, many cases, if not all cases, a person's religious choice says something about their character. And for a person to say, I'm going to choose a religious position or to stay with a religious position that is convoluted, uh, illogical, anti-Christian in most ways as Mormonism is, says something about their character, too. And I think that's a very important aspect. I mean, if Romney had been elected, let's look at it this way, he'd probably been the first president of the United States to have gone into office without a Christian worldview. Because Mormonism is not a Christian worldview. It's no way consistent with Christianity. It's more akin to Hinduism in terms of their polytheism and their view of the, the nature of uh, the natural order. Uh, and is totally isolated from a Christian Christian thinking in that regard. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Our guest today, Dr. Phil Roberts, expert on Mormonism theologian, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City. Dr. Roberts, I want to dig uh, deeper on that statement because a lot of Christians would say, whoa, wait a minute, you say it's not a Christian worldview or it has more in common with Eastern religions. Um, You know, we had a local columnist here as a talk show named Mark Davis, and he wrote a telling piece uh, three or four months ago. He says it's not so much that this man doesn't have the right to believe these things, but he said, when you when you look at what Mormonism claims, the ancient languages in America, the ancient cities in right. America, um, and then just some of the goofy theology, to him it was a question of gullibility or mm. trust. Mm-hmm. If this educated man who served as a governor believes in this sort of fairy tale, what else would he believe in? Or if he doesn't believe it anymore— the flip-flop factor comes in, and he's just staying with his old religion, right. uh, even if he doesn't believe this stuff, because it's a matter of family heritage and, and so forth. Do you think American people are discerning enough to see that fact? Well, I would hope so. Uh, there's a lot about the American public generally that causes me <laughs> great doubt that they are very discerning. But it seems to have been, at least when you get into the South, that a lot of people had grave misgivings about Mitt Romney. I've talked to a lot of our mutual friends who are key pastors and leaders throughout the Southeast, and they said they would not support Mitt Romney for president. And um, I think all those issues do come to light. Once again, here's a, this is a religion that believes in not just a multitude of gods, not just tens of millions of gods like Hinduism, but this is a religion that basically believes in an infinite number of gods. Now, work that through your logic wow. a little bit, and uh, it, it, I think it it has encouraged me at least that a lot of people know more about Mormonism than we might give them credit for, and hopefully that did serve as a restraint in terms of their support for Mitt Romney. I, I personally could not have supported him in the primaries mm. and did not. We've got Rick on the line from Atasca. Rick, thank you for calling and holding. What's your view? Well... I haven't been able to hear all of what you had to say. I just turned it on when the gentleman that's 
that was speaking said that uh, um, if uh, Romney had gotten in as president, then he would be the first one that did not have a Christian worldview. And that was the issue that that uh, I I couldn't agree with. And and uh, if you see, um, I, I I could not say that uh, Bill Clinton had a Christian worldview at all. Um, and I, I can't really say for the rest of them. Um, <laughs> you know, there, some of the others may have been in doubt because of their actions and everything. By their fruits, you will know them. And uh, you know, some of the other presidents that we had uh, exhibited exhibited some questionable traits. But um, all right, Rick, let's ask Dr. Roberts. I think we get the gist of that. Hey, Rick, I thank you for the question. Uh, at least Bill Clinton had a professing Christian worldview. You could also look at a president like Thomas Jefferson, who was basically a deist, but he gave some assent to Christian values, Christian morals, to some aspects of the teaching of the Bible he accepted as authoritative. So I'm not saying they were evangelical or they were genuinely Christian in the biblical born-again sense of the word, but at least they were influenced by the Christian context and teaching and aspects of thinking that we would consider to be generally Christian. So that's that's not. Uh, uh, I appreciate your perspective and your your standpoint. I certainly would agree when it comes to Bill Clinton. And let me just ask you this, Doctor Roberts, because uh, I remember Do- uh, Ronald Reagan used to be criticized for his belief in Armageddon, and people thought, "Man, this guy's got the nuclear football suitcase, <laughs> and he believes in Armageddon." Uh, what is the eschatology of Mormonism that actually might concern uh, the Mormon doctrine of the future, and even for the United States, that people would find, well, that's strange yeah. for a president to be thinking this way. <clears throat> well, in Mormonism, it's Jesus is coming again, but it's also Joseph is coming again. Uh-huh. And by that, I mean Joseph Smith, because they believe not only Jesus will return, but so will all the Mormon presidents return with him to help in uh, the millennial uh, government that Jesus will set up, being based primarily in Independence, Missouri, not too far from Midwestern wow. Seminary, and that they will help judge and evaluate each generation that, during which they were present. Well, Romney said he was a true blue Mormon. That's code in Mormon. for belie- He's saying, I believe all of this, all of it. Strange that the president would believe that about Independence, Missouri. The people in Independence might not like that. Dr. Roberts, thank you for being with us. Thank I you. know you've got to head out. Folks, when we come back, it's Black History Month. 101 things you should know about George Washington Carver. What about his faith? Also, we'll be talking about the threat to your parental rights. You'll want to hear this at the half hour and more on McCain. Will he choose Huckabee? As a VP, Will Huckabee Surge. Dobson has endorsed him. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell 
Municipal College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. There's a lot of people who care about you. Total strangers showing up here in this community to help you get back on your feet. All right, that's President Bush in Tennessee talking to uh, disaster victims, uh, the great tornado coming through and uh, decimating uh, places like Union University. And it's great to see the federal government out and about to help. But as we saw with Katrina, we see again, I think, uh, with these tornadoes that um, Christian people, churches, can beat the federal government in terms of rapid response and actually uh, coming together to provide assistance. I've already heard of many Christians who've traveled from places as far away as Texas to be there. And uh, we have begun, you have begun today, something special here on KCBI for three hours this morning. We had a Uniting with Union University a campaign. Union University, one of the great Christian universities in the South, Southern Baptist School, suffered over $50 million of damage. And you gave $25,000 approximately this morning on KCBI. I want to thank you. I want to say if you still want to give, you haven't given yet, go to kcbi.org. You'll see how to do that. And uh, we're going to be announcing the grand total Monday at 5 o'clock. Monday at 5 o'clock in three days. We'll announce that total and take that check to Union next week. We're going to have an update live from Union in a few minutes. You don't want to miss that. But February is Black History Month. And we want to talk today about George Washington Carver. You don't hear as much about him as you used to. When I was in grade school, uh, he's someone that we learned about. But I think today folks want to talk about the radicals. And uh, <clears throat> that's, uh, that's a shame because this was a fascinating man. With us to talk about it, we have William Federer. He's written a book, George Washington Carver, His Life and Faith in His Own Words. Bill Federer has been on this program many times. He is president of AmeriSearch. They do tremendous research on America's great heritage. Bill, welcome back to the program. And tell me this, what was the faith of George Washington Carver? Well, Jerry, he was a Christian, and that's one of the reasons I wrote the book, is I read through all of his personal correspondence and all the letters that he wrote to his friends and professors he filled them full of scripture verses. He led Bible studies at Tuskegee. Um, one letter he wrote in 1931 to a Miss Isabel Coleman in Greensboro, North Carolina. He says, I was just a mere boy when converted, hardly 10 years old. There isn't much to the story. A dear little white boy, one of our neighbors about my age, came by one Saturday morning, and in talking and playing, he told me he was going to Sunday school tomorrow morning. I asked him what Sunday school was. He said they sang hymns and prayed. I asked him what prayer was and what they said. I do not remember what he said. I only recall that as soon as he left, I climbed into the loft, knelt down by the barrel of corn, and prayed as best I could. I do not recall what I said. I just remember I felt so good. I prayed several times before I quit. And he goes on to say his favorite song is, Must Jesus Bear the Cross Load and All the World Go Free? And um, But this is when he was uh, around 10 years old. Uh, 
But in the book, I, I give the story of his life interspersed with these uh, direct letters from his life, and just a fascinating, inspiring story of uh, someone who was born as a slave in 1865, right at the end of the Civil War. Uh, his dad died in a log-hauling accident in the next farm over, so he never met his dad. And his mom and sister and he were kidnapped after the war by bushwhackers, you know, vigilante groups that would sort of wander through the southwest Missouri area. And um, Moses Carver was a German immigrant, and he sent a friend with a horse to try to trade to get him back. And uh, sure enough, the bushwhackers said, well, tie the horse to the fence and leave, and when you come back, you'll find the family. Well, when they came back, all they found was little baby George lying in a blanket on the ground, dying of whooping cough. They took him back to Moses and Susan Carver, the German immigrants, and they raised him and uh, taught him to cook and sew and weave into men because he was always sickly, so he had to stay in the cabin a lot. But he uh, would plant you know, his little garden out there and uh, got a green thumb. And uh, when he was 11 years old is when he left home and went into Neosho, was taken in by a childless black couple who he called Aunt Mariah and Uncle Andy Watkins, and she gave him his first Bible that he cherished all throughout his life. Um, a couple years later, he went to Kansas, and uh, began attending high school, witnessed a lynching, fled to another city, and it finally took seven years. He finished high school, got accepted into a college, and when he showed up, they wouldn't let him in because of prejudice. So he wanders to western Kansas, homesteads for a couple of years, goes back to Kansas City, puts himself through a school to learn telegraph and work for the Union Telegraph. Then he went to Winterset, Iowa, and was the head cook at a hotel. And he writes in one of his letters that I have in my book, he said, one evening I went to a white church and sat in the rear of the house. The next day, a handsome man called for me at the hotel, said his wife wanted to see me. When I reached their splendid residence, I recognized her as a member of the choir. She said my fine voice had attracted her attention, and I had to sing quite a number of pieces for her. And from that time until now, Mr. and Mrs. Milholland have been my warmest and most helpful friends. And so they encouraged him to go to Simpson College, which was a college of art, and he was very good in art. Matter of fact, one of his paintings got an honorable mention in the 1892 Chicago World's Fair. And he had written about how he wanted to go to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Wow. But his his uh, art teacher said suggested he go into agriculture because he painted plants so well. And he did. He went to Iowa State, got his bachelor's degree, master's degree, and uh, then got a job at the college teaching. And uh, it's important... Uh, when I understood this and doing my research, it made me appreciate him all the more. Two of his professors went on to become U.S. Secretaries of Agriculture, James Wilson and Henry Wallace. And then Henry Wallace's son was a student there, and George Washington Carver taught him. He goes on to become U.S. Secretary of Agriculture and Vice President for Franklin Roosevelt. So Carver is rubbing shoulders with the top people in the nation in the agricultural field. And then in 1896, he gets a letter from Booker T. Washington, asking him to give it all up. And he says, I cannot offer you money, position, or fame. The first two you have, the last from the place you now occupy, you'll no doubt achieve. These things I ask you to give up, and in their place I offer you work, hard, hard work, but the knowledge of bringing people from degradation, poverty, and waste to full manhood. Signed, Booker T. Washington. Well, Carver writes back, and he says, I look forward to doing all I can through Christ who strengtheneth me to better the condition of our people. Through Christ, he said. Well, this is Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Bill Federer. He's written the book, George Washington Carver, His Life and Faith in His Own Words. Bill, I can tell you are just brim 
full with facts and information on Carver. Now, let's remind some of our people, Bill, um, what he's most famous for, uh, which has to do with peanuts. Tell us about that. Would you lay that on us? Well, he got to Tuskegee and found out that the farmers were destitute because they had been growing cotton. And every year you grow cotton, it produces less because it depletes the soil of nutrients. So he taught the farmers how to plant legumes, peanuts, sweet potatoes, soybeans, because they actually put nitrogen, which is the most main ingredient in fertilizers, they put nitrogen back into the soil. Well, the farmers did, and they had this huge harvest of peanuts, but they were goobers. Nobody ate them. They just gave them to horses, and, um, and so nobody wanted to buy them. So Carver goes into his laboratory and comes up with over 300 uses for the peanut to create a market for these things, everything from cosmetic cream to diesel fuel, axle grease to printer's ink, shoe leather, um, uh, crayons, the non-toxic pigments that go into crayons. He came up with that. Uh, he did the same with the soybean. So he came up with soy milk and soy burgers and even biodiesel, taking a soybean and turning it into diesel fuel. Matter of fact, uh, in 1921, uh, by that time, over 5 million acres were dedicated to growing peanuts. And uh, the United Peanut Growers Association asked Was- George Washington Carver to go to D.C. and lobby on behalf of them to put a tariff a tax on imported peanuts to help the domestic ones. And so Carver gets up there, and, uh, they give him 10 minutes to talk, but he begins to open up his bag and show all these things that he's made out of the peanut. And I've read through the congressional record, and Carver said, if you go to the first chapter of Genesis, I believe you can see what God intended when he said, Behold, I have given you every herb that bears seed to you, it shall be meat. Wow. He says, this is what he means, it shall be meat. And um, at the end of it, uh, the, the congressman said, Dr. Carver, how did you learn all these things? He said, from an old book. He said, what old book? He said, the Bible. Wow. He said, does the Bible tell about peanuts? He goes, no, sir, it tells about the God who made the peanut. I asked him to show me what to do with the peanut, and he did. Well, that's fascinating. Folks, this is Jerry Johnson Live. Our guest is Bill Federer. He's written the book, George Washington Carver, His Life and Faith in His Own Words. Bill, this is Black History Month, and uh, I'd really like to ask you now sort of an overarching question. Um, what are the lessons from George Washington Carver's life that uh, really everyone should learn, not just uh, people in the black community, but white people and Hispanic people. Um, there's some real character lessons here. And um, how important do you think he is to the heritage of our country? Oh, tremendously. I think it's the most inspiring story, story of someone who went from slave birth to creating a multi-billion dollar industry he didn't keep any of the patents on any of the things, you know, that he discovered. Uh, he had gotten visited on the campus by Calvin Coolidge and Franklin Roosevelt. He turned down job offers from Henry Ford and Thomas Edison. He got piles of letters from around the world, even Mahatma Gandhi inviting him to India and Joseph Stalin inviting him to Russia in 1931. He turned them down. Um, but here he impacted the world, but he started off with just nothing and this is faith in God. One of my favorite, you talk about the lessons to learn, one of my favorite quotes from his, uh, is a letter in 1931, I'm sorry, 1928, to Jim Hardwick. He says, human need is really a great spiritual vacuum that God seeks to fill. With one hand in the hand of a fellow man in need, and uh, talking about the Union University there. Hey, we're about up uh, on he, time here, Bill. I've almost got to go. And the other in the hand of Christ, he could get across the vacuum, and he says, uh, why then should we who believe in Christ be so surprised what God can do with a willing man in a laboratory? Wow. 
There are great lessons there. In spite of uh, discrimination, in spite of poverty, uh, in spite of family limitations, this man did great things for others and for God. Bill Federer, thank you for being with us. We'll have you back again. One of my books, um, George Washington Carver's Life and Faith in His Own Words. All right, folks. There it is. When we come back, are you losing your parental rights? You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. We have had a few disagreements, and none of us will pretend that we won't continue to have a few. But even in disagreement, especially in disagreement, I will seek the counsel of my fellow conservatives. That's Senator John McCain at the Conservative Political Action Committee conference. He's running for president, and he's acknowledging that he has a job ahead of him if he's going to win over conservative leaders to support him. And, of course, today, Dr. James Dobson endorsed Mike Huckabee for president of the United States. What will this mean for the Republican nomination process? We'll talk about it in days to come, particularly next week. Don't miss it. Also, later in this program, a live update from Union University. Um, We have a reporter on the ground. You don't want to miss it. We're going to talk about the tornado damage, how we can pray for those people, how we can continue to give. Don't miss that. But right now, are you losing your parental rights? Do you have a right to tell your children they have to go to church with you? Do you have a right to approve who they're going out to date? Do you have a right to approve what movies or DVDs they watch or where they go on the Internet? Uh, Are you losing these rights? The answer might surprise you. We're going to talk right now with Dr. Michael Ferris. He's the chancellor of Patrick Henry College, great school up in Virginia. He's also the founder of the Homeschool Legal Defense Organization, and he's founder of a group called ParentalRights.org. Dr. Ferris, welcome back to the program. Dr. Johnson, it's good to be with you. All right, Dr. Ferris, a lot of people uh, would say, you know, this this is not really a problem, is it? And I think the first thing we've got to do is, is uh, sort of wake folks up to the fact that uh, we are losing some of our parental rights to well, schools, to you, government. Tell us about it. Well, there are two cases that I was uh, directly involved with, uh, uh, both in Washington State when I was practicing law there, uh, that illustrate what's going on. Uh, one was a, a family, had a 13-year-old boy. Um, he decided he didn't want to go to church as often as the parents wanted. Uh, they had uh, uh, their family go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night for prayer meeting. And he found out from the local public school counselors that if he had conflict with his parents over uh, rules, that under a Washington state law that allowed the government to decide what was in best interest for the child, that he could go to court and have his parents overridden. And that's exactly what he did. Um, the judge ruled from the bench that once a week was enough church for any 13-year-old boy, <laughs> and he said if the parents wanted to retain custody of their son, they had to uh, uh, give up the right to take him to church on their schedule. Um, I was doing the case as a volunteer. I offered to take it to the state Supreme Court and onto the U.S. Supreme Court if, if the family wanted to, um, and, and yet the family was afraid of losing their their child, and so they they gave up. Now, there's a good reason that they've been afraid, because the Washington State Supreme Court, at about the same time, had another case involving another 13-year-old, this time a girl, 
And she was smoking marijuana and sleeping with her boyfriend, her parents found out, and they put a stop to it by grounding her. And the courts ultimately held that the rules of the family were reasonable and they were enforced in a reasonable fashion, but because they, the, there was conflict between parents' uh, wishes and the child's wishes, the, the government had the authority to intervene, and they took the, that girl from her, ho- her home and placed her in foster care. Um, both of those cases were under a, a law that's identical in its core principles to the U.N. Convention on the Rights of the Child. And that U.N. Convention is coming out of our country full steam ahead. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Dr. Michael Ferris. He is founder of ParentalRights.org. Michael, let me ask you this, because uh, back of those cases, there are some trends. And I think you've written about really two sources of the threat. You've alluded to them already. Could you just talk to us about the U.S. courts and then the international courts and, um, you know, where this seems to be heading? Sure, I'd be glad to, Jerry. Um, the um, uh, a perfect storm is coming. The parents' rights were first recognized by the Supreme Court of the United States in the 1920s as an implied right under the 14th Amendment's uh, liberty protection provision. It says no person shall be denied liberty without due process of law. And they, they interpreted the term liberty to include the liberty of parents to direct the upbringing and education of their children. Um, and yet that same legal theory has been misused in the interim, uh, and it's that same theory of interpreting the word liberty that's given us Roe versus Wade uh, for abortion rights and Lawrence versus Texas for homosexual rights. And there are some conservatives on the Supreme Court that basically say, enough with all this implied rights business. And so Justice Scalia, for example, in the last parents' rights decision before the court, uh, Troxell versus Granville said he was not going to vote for any parental rights because even though he liked them as a, pro- as a political idea, as a judge, unless parents' rights are in the text of the Constitution, ah. he can't support it. Now, we don't know where Justice Alito and Chief Justice Roberts are on this issue, but if they go with Justice Scalia, which is not um, you know, an absurd thought that they might, um, then we already have a 5-4 majority against parents' rights on the Supreme Court. Some because they just don't like parents' rights, but others because they're of this school that we shouldn't have any implied rights that are enforced by the courts. So um, with, with that in mind, that's, that's one problem. Uh, and so um, our, our own courts need a text in the Constitution to have a, a solid basis for parents' rights. Now, you're rights. calling, then, for a constitutional amendment. Talk about that. Right. Uh, the uh, constitutional amendment that we're proposing, that uh, you can read it, uh, parentalrights.org, on the web, um, it has uh, basically takes the, the uh, time-honored Supreme Court doctrines on parental rights. We're not changing anything. We're just preserving our existing uh, recognized constitutional rights. And, and we're putting it into plain language into the Constitution. But we're adding a third section. The first section says parents' rights. Our fundamental right, uh, second right uh, paragraph explains that fundamental rights aren't absolute, that parents can't abuse their children and, and so on. It's, but we use the most protective language for families in that, that we can straight out of Supreme Court decisions. But the third section says international law has to stay out. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's very important. I'm getting an advanced law degree right now uh, from the University of London, um, an LLM in public international law. 
and I've already completed my four courses on the international rights of the child. And you cannot believe what these people put in print. It is unbelievable the plans that they have for this country, for any country that adopts their theory of uh, children's it's rights. It's part of the larger global, quote, human rights agenda, uh, which really gives full legal rights <laughs> to children well, it, it over and against be, their parents. Well, at one level, yes, but at another level, what it does is give government authority over children rather than parents' authority mm. over children. The whole child's rights thing is a bit of a smokescreen because oh, they recognize that ultimately some adult has to look over these things. And, and that's the real switcheroo, is that um, under our law today, um, the government can only determine what's best for a child after a parent has been convicted of abuse or neglect of their child. It's a, basically a sentencing rule. If, if you abuse your children, if you neglect your children, and you're convicted, the government gets to decide what's best for your child. But un- unless and until then, parents get to decide. And so what the U.N. Convention on the Rights of the Child would do would switch that presumption to say that the uh, government can decide what's best for children any time they well, want. Well, Michael, to. let me ask you this question. Yep. So you're proposing this constitutional amendment. Uh, how do you get from A to Z on this? What's your strategy? What are the chances of getting it passed? What's the grassroots uh, strategy here? How can people find out more about that as well? Uh, the grassroots strategy is absolutely key. Uh, our theory uh, is that if we have 10,000 people in 80% of the congressional districts who are willing to be what we call citizen co-sponsors of the amendment and say, I will call my congressman, I will contact my senators and say, support this amendment. Uh, I, I visited with a number of members of Congress, about three dozen members of Congress on this, and, on, and except for two of them, they're behind us and they agree that our strategy will work. But it, it's key on getting grassroots. And so we need your listeners to, uh, to go to parentalrights.org and to become citizen co-sponsors by signing the petition uh, and uh, you know, giving us your email address so that we can give you updates Good. on it. And, but then they need to go get their friends to go there and sign the petition to become citizen co-sponsors and to say, yes, we want parents' rights into the black and white of the Constitution and to stop the trends of international law. And you're going to be in the Dallas area on March 1st, I see. That's a Saturday from 7 to 9.30 out at Fellowship Bible Church. You're going to be talking about this theme? That's the the core purpose of the event. Wonderful. March 1st, 2008. Go to this website, parentalrights.org. Parentalrights.org. Michael Ferris, thank you for being with us today. We wish you Godspeed in this task. Jerry, it's great to be with you again. Hope to see you soon. All right, folks. Now, this show is about the Christian worldview. What does the Bible say? Well, it says this in the Ten Commandments, Exodus twenty twelve: Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving to you. The Old Testament teaches that children are to honor their parents. And when you look at those um, holiness codes in the Old Testament, it was presupposed that children had to obey their parents. In fact, if they didn't, there were severe consequences in the Old Testament. But that principle carries over into the New. You know, the Apostle Paul says that uh, in the book of Ephesians, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Paul, over in Romans 1, talking about uh, our sinful rebellion 
list disobedience to parents in the vice list in Romans chapter 1. So we know what God's view is on this, and that is that children are to obey their parents and that parents have the responsibility to lead and to guide their children. And the government is only there as a fail-safe if parents are criminals, as Bill, as um, Dr. Ferris said. So, children, if you're listening, obey your parents. We'll be right back. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. They're down-to-earth, good, hard-working people. They have a respect for the Almighty. And this community is going to be as strong as ever. That's what I think. All right, that's President Bush touring Tennessee today, touring the areas that were devastated by these tornadoes. And I just want to thank you, listeners of KCBI. Today, you pulled together over $25,000 given this morning for relief, particularly at Union University, our sister Baptist College University there. Uh, It... uh, it just moves me to know that so many of our folks want to be a part of this relief. And we need to be reminded of what's going on on the ground right there in Tennessee. We've got our KCBI newsman, Chris Howell, on the ground. Chris, it's good to have you back on the air. I've been listening to you all day, some tremendous interviews you've done. I'd like for you to give our listeners just a sense of what you've seen today and uh Help us to have an, an image uh, of the damage, the scope of it there. Well, good evening, Dr. Johnson. Let me start by saying at this moment, this campus does not look quite like it looked when I was here at 530 this morning. There's been an extensive cleanup that has been underway today. Hundreds of volunteers and parents came to help students try and salvage what was left. Uh, so many of them have been combing the grounds today, going through items, picking up debris, a lot of that being removed. Uh, over 1,100 uh, vehicles were totaled by insurance companies. Wow. Uh, many of those vehicles have been removed. Uh, and still quite a number of vehicles still here, but many of those vehicles have been removed. And then some of the dorms are still on lockdown because uh, many of them are still deemed not to be safe. 
uh, for students or for anyone to go into at this point. So the Tennessee National Guards do have a great number of dorms on lockdown because those areas, again, have just been deemed not to be safe at this point. But again, a tremendous uh, cleanup has been underway today, so things look a lot better. Uh, school officials say they will begin a cleaning up again tomorrow morning, and they're still hoping to uh, resume classes on the 18th of February. Chris, let me ask you this. What are you seeing with the faculty, the staff, the students, their spirit? And do you believe that actually that somehow Jesus Christ is going to be glorified uh, through all of this that's gone on? Oh, Dr. Justin, I certainly say so. I uh, was talking with a lot of these students today and asking them as they were taking cover uh, what was going through their mind. Many of them saying as they were you know, taking cover, they're hearing wind blowing and they're hearing the debris flying around. And at that moment, they were praying and they were asking the Lord to spare their lives and to spare their friends' lives. And that was done. So certainly they see the power of prayer. I would like to just hear some of the sermons that are going to come out of these students who have, again, felt the grace of God on their lives. I think they will go back and be a strong witness in the communities that they go back into. And you ask the expression of their faces, things of that nature. I would say it's hope. I mean, today it was amazing to see the smiles and the joy that was felt on everyone here as they were cleaning up, as they were building, putting this campus back together and so that they can then rebuild. Uh, that was amazing for me to see that. But then I had to be reminded that that is what it looked like when we as believers go through something such as this. We don't go through it with uh, loom and gloom, but we go through it with that hope and that faith to know that God is going to bring us through this. That's Chris Howell, KCBI News, Chriswell Communications. Chris, you've done a great job today. We look forward to seeing you when you get back. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, folks, and I want to thank you. Many of you have already contributed. We had Criswell College students yesterday, took up an offering in the chapel service. Then today, many of the listeners, KCBI, around $25,000. And I want to encourage you, if you're a regular listener to KCBI, just to know you're part of a great community and something larger than Arlington, larger than uh, Dallas or Fort Worth, larger than North Texas. I mean, we have... Our man on the ground in Tennessee, he flew up there because we wanted to reach out and make a difference in Jesus' name. Maybe you're down there in Frederick or up there in Frederick Lawton, um, KSYE, 91.5. Maybe you're down in San Angelo, KCRN. You could be a part of this as well. Let's all get in on this together. Just go to kcbi.org. And you can make a contribution to this fund. We're going to do a grand total on Monday afternoon, 5 o'clock. We'll announce it right here on Jerry Johnson Live. And um, there are lessons, certainly, to be learned in this situation. You know, Paul says over in Second Corinthians chapter 1, he says that uh, in our tribulation, in our suffering, God is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort of with which we ourselves are comforted by God. What's the point of that? The point of that is this. God does allow suffering. He does. And particularly allows it in the lives of Christians. But there's a redemptive purpose. What is that purpose? God allows you to go through the suffering so that you can come alongside others who are suffering in a similar way, and you can tell them how God blessed you, how God provided for you, how God gave you wisdom or an insight or provision. And you can tell them that you found your strength, your hope, your help in God. And you can be a counselor, not a counselor that learned something at a college or a seminary, but a counselor that actually went through the same thing they're going through now. And I just have to believe that many of those who are ministering at Union now have been through something similar. And many of those who are going through it now will be more equipped to minister 
in the future. Well, that's the way Christians respond to a situation like this. Now, how does John Kerry respond to these tornadoes? Uh, You know, I don't want to sort of leap into the larger meaning of it, uh, you know, inappropriately. But on the other hand, the Weather Service has told us we are going to have more and more intense storms. And insurance companies are beginning to look at this issue and understand this is related to the intensity of storms that's related to the warming of the earth. And so it goes to global warming and larger issues that we're not paying attention to. The fact is the hurricanes are more intensive, the storms are more intensive, the rainfall is more intense in certain places at certain times, and the weather patterns have changed. Uh, That's so goofy, and it is inappropriate. He was inappropriate. Uh, I want to encourage you to go to the Investor's Business Daily today and look at this editorial, The Sun Also Sets. It's a tremendous article about uh, the Danish Meteorological Institute, which released a study back in 91 saying that uh, global temperatures are related to solar cycles. It's the sun, not what's happening on the earth that's making such a difference. And um, after that, some Canadian scientists uh, confirmed this theory. And uh, the gist of this article, as you read through it, there's a good bit of documentation and scientific research, but I'm reading now directly saying, these scientists saying, quote, Solar scientists predict that by 2020, the sun will be starting into its weakest cycle of the past two centuries, likely leading to unusually cool conditions on Earth, end quote. They go on to say solar activity has overpowered any effect that CO2 has had before, and it most likely will again. These scientists are saying we're heading for a cooling period because the sun is in a cooling phase. Well, Christians respond by giving, and these politicians respond by trying to forward some weird political agenda. This is Jerry Johnson Live. I've enjoyed it. We'll be back next week. And join us to hear that final tornado relief result next Monday night. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.